Yeah. This is Catfish Hodge. You listen to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's the University of Michigan radio station. Wobble wobble do. A little bit, a tiny okay, bit. That's cool. That's as long as you can hear a little bit. All right, I'm gonna go start down the hall and tell them. This is um. Oh yeah, this is a Catfish Hodge, and you listen to WCBN FM in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Bad radio station. That's a good bad. You're tuned to the Campus Broadcasting Network on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Don't touch my hair When it's the feelings I wear Don't touch my soul When it's the rhythm I know Touch my crown. They see the vision I've found. Don't touch what's there. When it's the feelings I wear, they don't understand what it means to me. Where we chose to go, where we afternoon. That was Solange with Don't Touch My Hair, and this is Amanda Yuli, your guest host for the Living Writer Show this summer on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks for joining us. We are on the phone today, live on Thursday, July 5th, 2018, uh, with Julia Tertian. I'm going to read a quick bio of Julia, and then uh, we will welcome her. Uh, Julia Tertian is a writer, recipe developer, and author of the best-selling Small Victories. She is most recently author of Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. She live, she and her family live in upstate New York. Julia, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you about, about this book and everything. Great. We're, we're glad to have you here. I, I've spent the last um, few minutes... And the last part, of, much of the last week, actually flipping through um, some of your cookbooks, and I have many. Um, I have a hunger uh, to talk <laughs> to talk more about uh, what uh, you're doing, and uh, want to know more about uh, your cooking and your writing and uh, and everything. Hopefully, you can uh, sort of introduce the book for us, the the most recent book. Yeah, of course. So, feed the resistance. Um the best way I know how to describe it is it's a little book with a lot in it. <laughs> um, it, is, it measures pretty small. It's something you can really take with you. And uh, it's, it's a cookbook that's a little bit more than a cookbook. There's over 30 recipes. There's five really substantial essays. And there are a number of um, resource lists at the back of the book. And all of the material is from an amazing community. There's over 20 contributors. Uh, they all bring something pretty amazing to the table, a really diverse cross-section of, of experiences and perspectives, um, ages, locations, and on and on. And all of the proceeds from the book uh, go to the ACLU. Uh, so just 
purchasing the book in and of itself protects um, civil liberties, which are pretty important these days. Agree. Yes. Um, I wanted, you know, one of my first questions is um, to have you expand upon um, the idea of your list of contributors and just talk about how you selected the people um, that contributed writing and or recipes for the book. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe um, highlight a few of them for us. I would love to. My, my favorite thing to do is to talk about all okay. the amazing people in this book. Um, so my process for, um, for, for reaching out to people um, was really just basically from this idea that, you know, anything from a community is, is stronger than anything from an individual. Um, so I wanted this book to really uh, come from a big community so it could serve an even bigger community than, you know, I, I could on my own or, you know, two of us or three of us, you know, so there's, there's over 20 of us um, represented in this book. And just that idea of representation and visibility was hugely important. Um, and I'll back up and just tell you personally that I have uh, loved to cook my entire life. And I, I taught myself how to cook out of cookbooks. <laughs> so cookbooks have meant everything to me since I was a, a really little kid. And I, you know, I'm one of those very lucky, extremely privileged people who, you know, have always known what they've loved to do, and I, I get to do it. And for me, that means creating cookbooks. And one of the most powerful things I, I believe a cookbook can do is not just, you know, give you an idea of something to make for dinner, but to really create visibility. You know, cookbooks are so um, personal and intimate and, you know. Extremely make, so, yeah. Yeah, we make holiday meals out of them. We cook for our friends and family. We, you know, we read them in bed, or at least I do. Um, <laughs> So I, I personally know in my own work um, what what the experience has been as I'm a very out and proud gay woman, and I know what that means, um, you know, to bring into my work and the connections I'm able to make with other people be because of that are, are just really meaningful. So I wanted that feeling of connection um, to be available for as many people as possible. So um, the the over 20 contributors, um, you know, it's not just chefs. There's actually very few chefs. Um, there's people who do all sorts of work in and around food. Um, a lot of people working in, in the food justice space. Um, most of the contributors, well over half. Um, probably, I don't know, 80% or something are people of color. Um, there's a lot of other people, including myself from the queer community. Um, you know, it's a very, very diverse group of people, and I think the result is not just a book that, you know, has more representation and visibility. It's just it's a really interesting book. It's a great mm -hmm. collection of recipes that really span the globe. Um, and in terms of calling out a few, um, Maya Camille Broussard, who's this awesome baker uh, based in Chicago, she has a company called Justice of the Pies. Her recipe is for this Brazilian fish pot pie, and it's like this amazing, slightly spicy, um, like perfect thing to bring to a potluck. Um, <laughs> it stretches like a little bit of fish to feed like a huge amount of people. Um, it's a recipe Sounds I never very would have yeah, thought of on my own, so I feel uh -huh. like that's that's a good example of sort of what happens when you invite um, you know a bigger group than just yourself into the mix. It's kind of a revolutionary idea in itself to invite non-chefs to contribute recipes, right? It's sort of something that is equalizing about that um, in a sometimes stratified food industry, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, I it's I'm I'm glad you said that because I feel like you know, I'm I'm a home cook. I cook at home every day. I've never worked in a restaurant. Um, and mm-hmm. so the work I do is very much for other home cooks. And I'm always curious what people are making at home and what other home cooks are making. And I'm, I'm less intrigued by knowing how to make, you know, a fancy chef's recipe at home because that's probably not something I'd, I'd want to make on an average you know, Thursday evening. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so for back to the... the concept of your selecting these contributors, did you get to know anyone new in the sort of resistance community or in other communities in the process of putting it together? Or were these all, was this your network already? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so it's, it's a it's a mixture. There's um, there's contributors in the book who, who I'd known for a long time. Um, you know, one who comes top of mind is, is Cheryl Day, who runs an amazing bakery in Savannah, Georgia called Back in the Day Bakery. It's kind of the place you wish was in your neighborhood. <laughs> Everyone who lives in Savannah is really lucky. It's really kind of like classic Americana baking, um, and Cheryl runs it with uh, with her husband, Griff, and they're great. And uh, my wife has been friends with them for, for years and years and years, so I got to know them when, when I met my wife. So, you know, there's someone like Cheryl, who I have known, who jumped on board immediately. And then a lot of people who contributed to the book are people I um, had admired from more of a distance and, and wanted to know better. Um, people like, um, let's see, like Shakira Simley is someone who's, whose work I had heard a lot about, and then when I reached out to her to write an essay for this book, um, I was just blown away by what she submitted. And uh, the result just personally was a, a friendship that I've come to value so much, so it was an amazing opportunity to get to know everyone better. And then there's a lot of people in the book who, um, you know, I'd reach out to one person and they were like, you know, yes, totally, and you should also re- reach out to so-and-so. Or, you know, That's how I, those I things go, right? Time. Yeah. Sorry? That's absolutely how the, how the most beautiful things go is when yeah, you absolutely. start and building it organically that way. Yeah, and I'm happy to tell you more about the following if you'd like, but this book came together incredibly quickly. Um, so it was very much, uh, you know, a community rallying to make it happen. Yes, I do want to ask about that in a bit, actually. Um, I think first, maybe for our listeners um, who haven't yet picked up this lovely book, it came out last year, right? Um, Mid-2017? Yeah, uh, October. 2017. Okay. Um, for those who haven't picked it up yet, um, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through. There, there are four sections um, and just sort of what's in each, because it, it is a very unusual um, format, I think, for a cookbook, the sort of mixture of recipes and essays. And um, maybe you could just talk about that part a little bit, the structure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's an interesting question because, yeah, cookbooks are uh, divided in in all sorts of ways. And I think the way you typically see is, um, you know, things like sections like soup and salad and, you know, main courses and dessert and that kind of thing. Um, Or sometimes they're broken up seasonally, you know. We see that a lot, and and for this book, I, I had a, a slightly different format in mind, um, and I really, you know, one one of the guiding sort of principles for the book was, um, you know, how do we feed a movement, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and how do we feed activists, and how do activists feed themselves, and you know, what even is an activist, and how do we define that, and and how does food play into it. Uh, so with those sorts of thoughts in mind, the structure for the book, um, it's broken up. There's, you know, sort of introductory material. And then the first section um, 
and all the sections have like slightly kind of cheeky names. <laughs> and the first is called um, Easy Meals for Folks Who Are Too Busy Resisting to Cook. So these are quick and fast and easy, um, healthy, kind of you can throw it together. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, you know, food for people on the go, food for people who are busy, whether you're, um, you know, involved in your community, um, you know, maybe that's, you know, a university or, mm-hmm. or a grassroots organization or, uh, you know, just your local town government, whatever it is. And, um, you know, all those recipes apply to anyone who's who's busy, which is, I think, pretty much everyone these days. Yeah, pretty and, much. <laughs> yeah, the second section is um, feeding the masses, and it's, it's food for big crowds. And a, a big part of, of movement building, of, of community building, um, is, is getting large groups of people together. And uh, I wanted to make sure we provided recipes that were scaled for really big groups. And, again, sort of carrying over the themes from that first section. You know, easy to prepare, not going to, you know, break the bank by any means. Also, you know, fairly healthy. Uh, you know, people need energy <laughs> to keep going. Um, and, and comforting food. And and I would say most, not all of the recipes in the book, but most of them lean uh, vegetarian and vegan. Um, there's a lot of adjustments you can make to make them, you know, vegetarian or vegan if you'd like. And... Um, yeah, this, this section, the food for the masses, is um, I think one of the most uh, kind of like, uh, what's the right word? I guess diverse or sort of nuanced group of recipes. It's food from everywhere, and it's really cool to see how people in, in different parts of the country and also inspired by different parts of the world, um, you know, cook for, for big groups and, and what that looks like. And then the third section of recipes are... Um, foods that are sort of on the go, baked goods and portable snacks, food that you can take with you, um, that you can make ahead of time. And I would say the recipes in this section have some of the most kind of evocative and meaningful stories behind them. Um, Jocelyn Delk Adams, who's who's an incredible baker and, and cookbook author, uh, gave a recipe for her, her family's um, spiced uh, brown sugar pound cake and it's, it's an amazing recipe it's, it's so delicious but it's also a recipe that's been passed down in her family and she talks about that this is the cake that they they make when they need um, some some comfort and solace and, and a mm-hmm. feeling of togetherness and legacy and and she tells that story so beautifully and and then the book ends with all of these um, resource lists and um, there's there's a list of 20 places you can reach out to whether that's you know, if you're in need of help or maybe of help to give, um, there's 10 ways you can engage that might not be so obvious, um, things you just don't Which think about all the time. genius. I mean, people yeah. are seeking that, that kind totally. of resource. And, and the so last one, which I think has been one of the most kind of popular things from the book, is, is 10 things you can do in less than 10 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, while, while activism is, um, you know, stands on many shoulders and is a multi-generational effort, I think, especially in this day and age, there's just the sense of doing something now and feeling like you, you can, you can, you know, do something immediately, I think is really important. So we wanted to give lots of ideas for that. I think it's a great way to combat the feeling of helplessness that people feel is when they see that there's a list. <laughs> um, and, and, a, and, you know, beyond that, um, a fantastic book like this, uh, whose proceeds support the ACLU. 
Uh, the book is Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. Our guest today on Living Writers is Julia Tertian. I'm Amanda Yuli, your summer host, and I think we're going to take a very short song break uh, to have a moment. And then when we're back, we'll talk to Julia Tertian a, a bit more um, about the publishing process, especially of this book, which came out, um, in, in my estimation, as a real response to the election of 2016. Is that somewhat fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh, We'll get into that later. First, we'll hear Jay-Z. So she medicate society shame and the pain was too much to take. Cry tears of joy when you fell in love. Don't matter to me if it's a him or her. I just wanna see you smile through all the hate. Maria Antoinette, baby, let her meet Kate. Bad times turn to good memories. Smile. Even when I'm gone and you remember me. Smile. Good times never fade away. Smile. Even if I'm not with you here today. Smile. Good morning, evening, friend. That was Jay-Z, and this is Amanda Yuli on The Living Writers Show. Our guest today is Julia Tertian. Welcome back, Julia. Thank you so much. Um, Do you want to say a few words about uh, why you chose that song? And maybe even, I didn't ask you before about the, the song that opened our show. Do you want to talk about either of those selections? Sure, yeah, I actually couldn't hear them, so you have to just remind me which ones we're playing. Oh, <laughs> uh, we just played Smile by Jay-Z. Oh, okay. And yeah. then before that, we had uh, Don't Touch My Hair. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about them. So that was, it was fun to, um, you know, when you have to pick out songs and, and think about it kind of in terms of a Feed the Resistance and um, I guess just maybe things that have been on my mind. Um, so Solange's song is, I, I chose for two reasons. One, um, her her album, Just a Seat at the Table, I think speaks so much to what, um, you know, the ethos behind See the Resistance is all about, um, and this idea of, um, yeah, pulling up seats to the table, thinking about who gets to do that, um, you know, right. whose, whose table is it, uh, you know, I think the table metaphor is, is really sort of incredible, um, and I think that song, uh, you know, is, is such an incredible song in terms of speaking about um, kind of control over your own self and body and and the sort of microaggressions that um, mm-hmm. so many people, especially people of color and especially women of color, uh, you know, experience every single day. And I think her album just being one of uh, sort of community and solidarity and one that, um, you know, people like myself who are, who are not people of color who as a white person can listen to and sort of better understand and and just listen and um yeah. you know develop maybe a, a deeper level of, of empathy and understanding um so that was sort of my thought there and then that jay-z song smile just about his his mother i i like started crying the first time i listened to it um 
and just listening to a, you know a son talk about his mother who came out later in life and and who fell in love and um, you know that love can be you know mean different things for all of us but it's essentially kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah 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 so, well thank yeah. you for choosing those songs and kind of explaining them I always like of to course. know you know people on the show choose songs and sometimes they are kind of deeply meaningful personally and sometimes they have to do with uh, their book or with their process for writing and so it's like a great insight into um, into your choices yeah no thank you for asking I wanted to ask you um, a sort of follow up on something you said before and I, I didn't write it down so I won't have the phrasing right but I think you said something about who belongs at the table or who mm-hmm. has a right to be at the table and I wondered if um, in your work which I think not just with this book but more broadly has to do um, not just with food and cooking um, but with activism um, have you ever encountered anyone um, who's surprised at that combination um, because I think like you know we think of the old days as having as good food being kind of an elite thing and mm-hmm. you, your work is very counter to that which is very exciting um, and I wonder if you ever encounter uh, people who are surprised yeah, no, it's, um, I, I have, and I also, um, I, I luckily don't think I've encountered it a lot, um, and that's I good. think that speaks to, I think, the, um, like, in terms of social media and stuff like that, where, where I am thinking about having encountered that, um, I would say for the most part, I feel really lucky to be part of a community, both online and off, that, um, shares a lot of the same values so I, I I've, yeah I feel really happy about that so it's not something I've encountered a ton of but I definitely have I've gotten a lot of like you know stick to food um, you know why, why bring politics into this uh-huh. kind of kind of comment com- comments commentary <laughs> and you mean like um, in the sort of online space or social media yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that or you know some you know comments on like uh, you know places where people can buy books and leave comments and stuff like that, Amazon and whatever. Yeah. And Don't um, read the comments. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. <laughs> right. Mean, yeah, and but I would say I, I try to engage in those conversations as much as possible. I think if someone shows up to leave a comment, um, you know, it's an opportunity to, to talk. I mean, it's, I mean, it's way easier to talk to people who agree with you. <laughs> so I think... Always, yeah. So, yeah, so those conversations are really important and I think that... Um, you know, I'm not someone who, in my sort of outward-facing work, had been all that, you know, political or um, involved in activism sort of prior to the election. You know, I had been in, you know, whatever ways I, I had been personally and, you know, in my own community, um, but not necessarily in my work. And so when I, I think, really made that very intentional shift, um I think, yeah, maybe there was a little bit of surprise, but I think it, it opened up some really kind of wonderful conversations because the stick to food thing, I think, is really interesting because, I mean, food is, everything about food is political. <laughs> and I think if, if you feel like it's not, then I think it's a conversation about, you know, and I've, I've felt that way before. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's just dinner. <laughs> but the fact that I can choose for it to be apolitical is, is inherently, you know, a political That's a, thing. It's a it's a it's a point of privilege. So right, it's, it's a it's privilege. something to talk about. Can you um, can you 
talk a little bit more about um, the impetus for the book and sort of it sounds like um, in your own life your activism and your work changed a year and a half ago or so um, as I think is the case for many many people um, and one of the things that's astounding to me is how very quickly uh, you were able to assemble not only all of these contributors but this entire book and it seems like Chronicle Books stepped up in a pretty yeah. exciting way and a pretty swift way for the publishing yeah. industry. Can you talk about that process? A sure, bit? yeah. So I, yeah, just as exactly what you said is, is accurate. Um, and basically right after the, um, the election in 2016, I felt a lot of things. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people felt a lot of things. And, you know, I, I personally felt a mix of, um, of, of fear and anger and uncertainty and um, just all, all sorts of things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I uh, wanted to put that energy um, that I was feeling into something that I hoped could be productive and positive. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, what are things that I know how to do and can I use those things, can I use those skills, can I employ those tools in a way that um, could make a positive and um hopefully impactful difference and what I came to was that one sort of very random thing that I know how to do in this world is is to put together a cookbook (laughs) and I thought you know can a cookbook be a tool of resistance can a cookbook add to this conversation um in a way that that pushes things forward and and does so in a positive way and you know cookbooks are collections of, of recipes which are instructions on how to make something <laughs> so can can we make a cookbook that um, you know gives you recipes you know true literal recipes but also sort of helps you make something helps helps you make a change helps you make an investment in your community um, can we give you directions and um, and stories to help inspire that just the way you know recipes do so so I had that idea and I um, and I had essentially the vision for what this book could be, um, and I brought it to uh, my editor at Chronicle, Sarah Billingsley, who was great. And I should add, I was on I was on deadline for her for a completely different project. <laughs> and I uh, I wrote to her. I wrote like basically just like a, a page long email, um, just explaining what I thought this could be, and and it turned out, you know, what I'm holding right now. I'm holding a copy of the book. It's it's really what I described to her and so I asked her I felt like it was really important that we do it fast um, it felt I think so much of this book feels like it was really it was born out of momentum and it just it felt important to me that we respond to that momentum so I asked her to, to do a book that you know wasn't on her schedule and I asked her to um, you know agree to let me bring on all of these contributors um, m- many of whom she hadn't I don't even know if she had worked with any of them before. Um, so to say yes, not just to me, but to, you know, over 20 people that, yeah, she didn't have a, you know, a working relationship with. And my final ask was that, um, you know, we give all the money that the book uh, made to the ACLU. So on top of all that, I asked her to do this without making any money. <laughs> and um, to her credit yeah. and Chronicle's credit, you know, they jumped on board immediately. And... Um, I think they totally got the idea and and invested in it and basically um, paid to produce the book and then you know we paid all the contributors and then all the all the proceeds after that um, have been going directly to the ACLU and 
we uh, they also responded to my desire to do it really quickly. So I, from the time of basically that email to handing in the book, which meant, you know, not just you know writing my parts of it but also getting everyone on board getting getting their um essays and recipes um testing whichever recipes hadn't been tested yet you know all that work i did it in in a month so it was super fast that's incredible and um yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of a blur and <laughs> i just threw myself <laughs> into it and then so that was um very early in the spring of 2017 and um we we uh, published the book that came out early October and in, in in the book world and in the cookbook world that's like the incredibly fast lane you know Shocking. most cookbooks are yeah. at least a two year process so yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of fast and furious but, um, but amazing really really amazing I wonder if you could speak to you know there clearly was a great sense of urgency at the time that you conceived the, the book idea and that you were putting it together um but I, I have to say today, July 5th, 2018, there feels like almost an equal urgency, maybe with mm-hmm. other matters. But can you, do you feel that too? And do you feel like, um, do, do you want to speak to that level of urgency in our world? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, yeah, I feel it too. <laughs> that <sounds> like <laughs> We thought that was like a year ago. I think we thought this that was the most urgent time or some of us did. Yeah, I think, I think what's... Um, yeah, I totally like agree with what you're saying and, and feel it. And when I feel that way, um, I try and just remember that um, this is not news for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. For you know, for most indigenous people in this country, um, for most people of color in this country, for immigrants and refugees, and you know, I think this sort of sense of of urgency is not new. And I think knowing that. Um, the, the the work to basically just support communities and to resist oppression has been going on for generations and it will continue and um, I was recently at a conference and the chef Asha Gomez who's based in Atlanta was there and uh, she's incredible she's um, been an Atlanta based chef for, for many years and she's involved in a lot of um, uh, hunger relief uh, sort of food justice work and um, she mentioned the, the phrase that I've heard before, but hearing it sort of through the lens of her and her work was especially poignant that, um, you know, the kind of work that we sort of present in Feed the Resistance um, is is a type of work where you're, you know, you're planting seeds for a tree you might not sit under the shade of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it will, go, it will go on and on, but it's it's so important to, um, to, to be part of it. And I think that feeling of urgency is, um, I think it's a good thing. I think it helps get you, um, get you involved. But I think going from that point forward, I think it's sort of remembering that it's a marathon and not a sprint and you have to figure out how to make the work sustainable. Um, because it's, um, you know, the urgency is, I don't think it's going anywhere. (laughs) So, you know, for me, that's why I do my, um, sort of, worked, you know, in the justice space in, in food and in cookbooks because that's the work I do anyway and it's the work I love. Um, so making it an extension of my kind of everyday life just makes it part of my everyday life. You know, it's not an exception. It's kind of integrated in, yeah. 
Well, I think uh, we will take a music break for a moment. Uh, this is the Living Writer Show. We're speaking to Julia Tertian, author most recently of Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. And I think we'll hear Let Him Say. Living Writer Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm Amanda Yuli, uh, your guest host for the summer, and we are speaking with Julia Tertian. Hi, Julia. Hi. Thanks for being here this hour and talking about food and resistance with us. Oh, that's my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. Um, when I was um, spending some time with Feed the Resistance, um, your recent book, I felt like there was this powerful note um, spoken and unspoken throughout the book about how food unites us, right? Like mm. there's so many, uh, people have so many differences and so many different experiences, but we have so many similarities when uh, we are hungry and when we are a, a parent that needs to get a meal on the table or, um, you know, I, I think, I feel like that thinking uh, was part of how the book maybe came together, but I wonder if you could expand on that thinking a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely right. I think um, it's something that I, uh, yeah, I feel like it's at the backbone of of what I do and, and, and what I believe in so much. And I think food is, it does two very opposite things at the same time, and it does them all the time. And I think those two things are to kind of distinguish us and show us all the things that make us individuals, um, you know, the things that make us so different, the, you know, whether it's uh, what spices you're using or, um, you know, what family member taught you something or, you know, whatever the story the ingredients are, I think food does so much to, um, to show us our differences in, in such beautiful ways. And I think when we cook, we get to, you know, show whoever we're cooking for who, who we are. Um, and at the same time, the sort of opposite thing it does, but at the very same time, I think, is to show us how much we have in common and that we have way more in common than the other way around. And I think you can look at almost any dish and see that. You know, I, I grew up eating, um, I grew up in New York in a Jewish family, and so the food I ate the most and continued to love the most is like really old-fashioned 
like Jewish chicken soup, like that you get like in a delicatessen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's the food my my aunts made, and you know that I heard stories about my grandparents kind of in the old country. You know, it's it's like the soup that is so much about who I come from and and who I am, and then you know putting chicken a whole chicken in a pot of water with some vegetables is done around the world <laughs> i think you just change a few things here and there you know like a handful of chilies and maybe like cilantro stems and you're in a completely different part of the world or you know some spices and you know a charred onion or you know and you're in vietnam or you know but it's really it's like the same thing everywhere and so all those things that distinguish it and make it different are so fascinating um but at the end of the day it's you know it's chicken soup <laughs> like around the world right right can you tell us more um about how you cook i'm interested also in how you write but i i first feel like this is a great opportunity um for you to tell um, our listeners about how you cook. Do you listen to music? And um, when do you cook? And is it uh, something that consumes you all day long because of your work? Or is it something um, that you have to carve out discrete time for? Yeah, it's a fun question. Um, Well, I would say, yeah, there's kind of, there's the cooking I do when I'm, um, like working on, on cookbooks and working on recipes, which, which is most of the time. And mm-hmm. so when I'm in kind of recipe development and like recipe testing mode, uh, it looks a little bit different from my day-to-day cooking. And um, my day-to-day cooking is super simple, super fast, like not really overthinking anything. There's always music playing, um, usually reggae, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, playing like a little too loudly probably (laughs) and I'm looking to you know not wash a lot of dishes (laughs) Um, as much as I can I'm outside at my grill Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm lucky to have a little yard with a grill and I love cooking out there especially in the summer mostly because I don't have to clean anything up (laughs) (laughs) Um, my wife and I live a couple hours north of New York City um, in a very rural area, so we, we eat at home every day. Um, there's not a ton of restaurants where we are, and we just like being at home. So I'm always cooking way more than the two of us can eat because I'm always um, having leftovers in the fridge and I'm turning into something else. And so that's sort of my day-to-day. It's like music, like bare feet. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have two dogs and a cat, and they're, someone's always begging for something. Um <laughs> And But my sort of recipe development, recipe testing, like when I'm sort of quote-unquote going to work in the kitchen, um, it looks a little bit different. I usually have music playing, but not very loudly, and I can't listen to anything with lyrics. Otherwise, I start listening to them and not paying attention to what I'm doing. You really have to <laughs> so, focus. What recipe testing is, yeah, is a different kind of cooking. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, both recipe testing and just, you know, making dinner or, or cooking. Um, but one, when I'm recipe testing, I'm, I'm paying attention to everything. I'm constantly asking the question, like, is this the best version of this? And also, is it the easiest version of the best thing? Um, that's what mm-hmm. I'm always trying to achieve. And so I'm asking all those questions and I'm tweaking things and I'm troubleshooting. Um, but when I'm just, you know, making lunch or dinner or, or breakfast um, for myself or my wife and I or, you know, if a friend is over, it's, you know, I hope it's good. <laughs> I enjoy good food, but I'm not stressed about if it's if it's the best version of something. Um, but if I'm going to write a recipe for someone and ask them to, um, you know, invest their time in making it and 
invest money in ingredients um, and ask them to trust my instructions. Uh, you know, I want it to, I want them to be happy. So, um, yeah, I put a lot of focus into, into that time in the kitchen. That's a responsibility to people. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like it goes into the writing process. Um, I mean, a cookbook is, in so many ways, a how-to book. Um, and that's a very different kind of writing than, um, than essays and other sorts of things. So um, how do you, I guess, as a, if you can look at a cookbook as a how-to in some ways, um, how do you make that kind of writing um, as engaging as you do, you know, and as readable? Do you think about yeah, that? Well, I'm delighted you you feel it's engaging. Oh, I, um, <laughs> I it's it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about and and working on and um, you know recipe writing I think is a very um, I would say undervalued thing I think uh, you know sometimes like on like Instagram or something I'll I'll put a picture of something I've, I've cooked and you know someone in in the comment will ask for the recipe. Um, which is always a very um, flattering thing, you know, that anyone's interested in mm-hmm. how I made something of, you know, that's why I get to do what I do. So I don't mean to belittle that, but sometimes I feel like the sort of expectation that a recipe just exists, um, that you can just write it, uh, you know, in a minute, and it's like no big deal, um, is is something that I'm sort of constantly trying to push against because I think... I mean, those recipes exist. There's thousands, if not millions, of recipes, like, on the Internet. But I think really well-written and well-tested recipes take a lot of time um, and effort. And I approach writing them, you know, so we've talked a little bit about the sort of testing part of it. Mm -hmm. But the actual writing part of it, um, you know, writing recipes can be a pretty dry endeavor. You know, it's sort of like writing... um, you know, any kind of instruction manual, like, you know, I think about the people who, who write the manuals for, you know, cars or, or electronics or textbooks or something like that. And But with food, with recipes, you have so many opportunities to add really, really descriptive and vivid detail. And I actually studied poetry in college, um, which might not be the most obvious education for a cookbook author, but I think... Um, it was the best education I, I, I could have done because I basically got to study, um, you know, the writing of, of poets and got to work on my own poetry. I don't, I don't know if it was any good, but I got to sort of exercise this muscle of basically writing in a really economic but very descriptive form, which is what a recipe is. So exactly. I approach each time I write a recipe like it's, it's its own little poem. You know, I'm trying to give you as much detail as possible so you can really see it and feel it um yeah. you know it kind of will come off the page hopefully and you know you have all the cues you need to know you know when something's done you know i'll never tell you to do something for whatever 10 minutes or an hour without mm-hmm. telling you what it will look like and smell like and feel like and you know i want you to have all of those tools so when it comes to the actual writing it's it's a nice opportunity to get to be really descriptive and um yeah i enjoy it well, they're, they're quite similar because you're selecting just the right word and you're being, as you said, very economical about mm-hmm. the words that you use. Um, and then when you're, I, I'm going back to the, the question about your, uh, your own cooking. Do you cook with recipes? yourself when, when you're putting dinner on the table for you and your wife as you said yeah I feel like it's my like I don't know like dirty secret that I never cook from recipes <laughs> like ever um, I write them for a living and uh-huh. I love writing recipes I get so into all these details and 
all the particulars. Um, but when I'm just cooking, I never follow recipes. And I have so many cookbooks and I'm constantly looking at cookbooks and reading them and, and reading the recipes and seeing how people describe things and um, but I every now and then I'll follow like if a friend writes a cookbook and I want to try something they've made or certain baking recipes I'll follow recipes um, but like for I would say 95% of what I cook I'm never following recipes it's, it's pure yeah. kind of instinct and intuition and uh-huh. And my goal in in the recipes I write, it's a little bit kind of backwards, uh, but my goal is to kind of help people feel like they can not follow them if they want. You know, I'll give you enough information that you feel hopefully really comfortable to kind of make it your own and riff on it. And, you know, if I call for an ingredient you don't like, like, I don't want you to use it because I want you to like what you cooked. And if you have an idea of something that you could add that maybe I have on hand or just you really enjoy and you think it would be better, like, by all means, go for it. Well, this is um, this is why I really enjoy your recipes, actually, because I'm not a I'm a, a great cookbook reader, and a, I use many recipes um, as part of just my headspace. But I very often don't cook with recipes either. And so, um, things like seeing your spinoffs, I'm looking at your um, Small Victories book. Um, the idea of a spinoff is genius. That you can uh, for someone uh, like me who's vegetarian who wants to adapt something or change something or use up what's in the fridge. Um, you seem you have a very wonderful way of honoring that <laughs> that reality for people. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that comes through. Oh, uh, that makes me really happy. Absolutely. Um, so let's hear a, a quick uh, musical break, and then uh, we'll be back on Living Writers with Julia Tertian. We'll talk more about food. Um, hopefully, Julia, you'll be so kind as to read a little bit from your opening essay in the book, sure. Feed the Resistance. Um, but first, we'll hear Hold On. back with the Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I want to say thank you to Frank Uli, our engineer for the day. Um, And big thanks, of course, to Julia Tertian, who's joining us to speak about her cookbooks and her writing and her cooking. Thanks, Julia. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, 
So in a bit, I'd love to have you read a little bit um, about uh, from your, your book, Feed the Resistance. Um, but first, I wanted to ask you um, if you could talk about... Um, back to sort of the cooking, you know, how you cook and, and what you cook. There's something um, that for me really unites the couple of ideas in your book about making a difference. Um, and one is that cooking has this very tangible sense of accomplishment um, that I think is essential. And it's another thing that kind of unites us. Um, do you do you feel that too, that, that kind of, um, that tangible sense with cooking? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it was actually the sort of, section of the introduction I was thinking oh, good. to share. <laughs> it definitely touches on that, um, and I guess literally touches on that. <laughs> I think the, you know, I think the tangible sense of, of um, just having completed something um, is so, uh, you know, available in the kitchen, and I think it's so much of what has drawn me to cooking for my whole life, and you know, I'm I'm someone who splits her time between writing and and cooking. And writing is, um, you know, even if after you hand something in, you're still always editing it in your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's the work that never ends. And I live so much in my head. Um, so much of it is just cerebral, and uh, you know, and so much of writing is just thinking about things. <laughs> like the actual writing doesn't take so long it's more thinking about it and putting it off and all that kind of stuff um so cooking just the sense of of doing something with your hands and and you know you make it and it's done and you eat it and it's over (laughs) and i find that to be so important and just for me personally it's it's um it's how i have any kind of semblance of balance in my life is because i i have those two things both pulling at me and i don't think i could do either one of them 100% of the time it's it's really about doing both of them yeah and they're, and they're different things for sure um, would you read a little bit for us sure yeah um, yeah I just picked a, a part of the introduction and um, I guess you don't really need to know too much before I read I just before this part I was just sort of talking about um, essentially where I was kind of after the election and um, uh, sort of getting more involved in my community through cooking and yeah So, in this work, I'm constantly reminded that food has true power. On the most basic level, resistance, just like any other active thing, needs to be fed in order to sustain. Beyond that, food touches on just about every single issue that matters. Being interested in food, really caring about it, has a domino effect. You start caring about where it comes from and what it means to the people you are feeding and what it means to be fed. To think deeply about food is also to think deeply about the environment, the economy, immigration, education, community, culture, families, race, gender, and identity. Food is about people, all people. It's the most democratic thing in the world, lowercase d, and it affects all of us. It's the thing that we, the entire world, all have in common. Therefore, it also has the power to inform us about where we come from, inform how we express and share ourselves, and ultimately has the power to bring us together with empathetic understanding. It's no wonder that bread, fruit, wine, and even water itself are symbols in just about every religion and culture. Food is also so wonderfully tangible. Part of why I love to cook is because there's such a clear sense of completion and accomplishment. 
In all times, but especially during uncertain ones, there's something so beautifully comforting about cooking a meal from start to finish. Peeling and slicing onions and watching them soften in hot butter might not, might not be the answer to world peace, but it's nice to know that when I do just that, I'm one of millions around the world doing that exact thing at the exact same time. When we cook, we are in solidarity, and there is power in that. Cooking cannot only balm our emotions and sustain, it's also a constant reminder of transformation and possibility. Just watch things like flour and buttermilk get stirred together into a shaggy dough, and then, just like that, stand tall in the oven as they become bronze bis biscuits. Cooking shows us over and over again that we can make things happen, we can make change happen with just our own hands. Food is metaphor personified, and within that, there is reaffirmation of what we can accomplish. Thank you, Julia. Um, that was a selection from the introduction to Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. Um, with that, I, I would love to have you talk a little bit about what um, you're reading now um, and, and sort of how you read. So you mentioned earlier reading cookbooks in bed, I think you said. Um, yes. <laughs> is that, uh, can you recommend some that you're reading now? And then do you sure. read other things? Do you read poetry? Do you read nonfiction, fiction? Yeah. Um, I am always reading I feel like so many things at once, which I think a lot of people do. Um, I read, I would say during the day, uh, I'm like on my computer a lot and I'm constantly reading articles. Um, I follow a lot of writers, especially people who write about food, um, you know, a lot of whom I know and consider friends, uh, and I follow a lot of them online on social media and I'm always kind of seeing what they're writing, um, what they're posting, also what they're posting that they're reading. Um, so I would say a lot of the um, sites that I go to to read, especially about food and especially about, I would say, food justice or um, I read Civil Eats a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I read some of the mainstream sort of food publications like Eater and, and Grub Street. I turn to those a lot. Um, I would say the food writers writing right now who I'm always kind of looking to are um, Helen Rosner, who writes for The New Yorker, uh, Korsha Wilson is a freelance writer um, who writes for so many outlets and is always kind of profiling, profiling really amazing people. Um, there's a young writer, Elazar Sontag, who, I, who I've become friends with, and he's, um, he's just writing great stories and finding great stories to tell. Um, and then, I would, so yeah, during the day, I feel like I'm sort of consuming articles and... Um, just sort of seeing, you know, one click that leads to another. <laughs> and then in the yes. evening I try to not be in front of my computer, and that's usually when I'm taking, like, a cookbook to bed. Um, and lately, I'm trying to think. There's a new book from um, Todd Richards called Soul that's really beautiful. Um, his recipes are just amazing and really personal, and um, the photography in that book is beautiful. Um, that's one I've been really into. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking about food all the time. I'm reading about it. I'm writing about it. And then it's also really nice to read something that has nothing to do with food. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a lot of, um, like, memoirs, um, and I feel oh. like, which is the latest I've read? I just read um, Levy, Levy's book. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's funny. Oh. She's great. I love her. Um, 
no pressure. Yeah, to, said, <laughs> no, no pressure to listen to stories, so. um, other people's stories. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. Memoir is is great for that. Um, and what are you writing right now? What's um, what's next for you? Um, well, I actually have another cookbook coming out um, really soon, in like two months, in September. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about kind of the process of putting together Feed the Resistance that um, my editor, who you know came on board so immediately and was so supportive, uh, I mentioned I was on deadline for another project. So yes. that project is the one that I have it coming out <laughs> in September. Um, and it is called Now and Again, and it's a cookbook of all of my favorite menus. Um, so you can you know, have the recipes to make the whole meal, and then ways to reinvent the leftovers. So that's sort of the again and now and again and um, you were kind to mention you know enjoying small victories which was my book before Feed the Resistance and that book you know every recipe was followed by these like spin-offs these variations so once you you know you knew how to make the recipe you could make all these um, you know variations of it so that kind of feeling is, is present and now and again you know once you um, you know make a meal you can take all the leftovers and reinvent it and those recipes are written in that same very kind of like just easygoing I guess kind of descriptive format so I'm really excited about it I um it was a really nice opportunity to um you know really put all my favorite stories from what I've cooked in one place because I think when you when you create a menu and you create a meal it's you know it's a story Oh, absolutely. And it's such a smart and um, realistic way to approach it for most home cooks, I think, is to, to look at uh, what's left over after you Yeah, I love leftovers. I think people are either, like, love them or hate them, and I'm, I'm yeah. definitely, like team leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you there. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah, I think everybody loves reinvented leftovers though. Like if you, you, you wouldn't even know it's a leftover sometimes, right? Yeah. That's my favorite when it's like yeah, something all new. Exactly. Um, so we're nearly out of time, but I wanted to quickly give you a chance, um, because I don't think you've already, um, to mention, um, some of the activism that you do in your own life, uh, with various organizations, um, and in your community. Do you want to tell us quickly about about that work sure yeah um i guess i'll um i'll mention two um one that means a lot to me is that um every thursday morning um my wife grace and i volunteer with uh, a, a local group um near where we live that's essentially kind of like a local meal on wheels program um it's called Angel Food East, and it's a small operation that runs out of a church kitchen about half an hour from us. Uh, we prepare meals for 60 clients um, who are homebound with chronic illness. And I mention it because it's it's my favorite part of my week. Um, I look forward to it so much, and I love um, sharing just that with people and, and writing about it and sharing pictures from it, you know, on Instagram and that kind of thing, because I think it's it's a good reminder that I think getting involved in your community, especially through food, is is not just a supportive thing to do for people in your community. It's also a really, you know, enriching part of, um, of the volunteer's life, and it's become this kind of anchor in our week and something I just, I look forward to so much, and we, you know, we love the people we cook with. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, value the people we serve, and it's it's just been a really nice thing, and especially as a freelancer, 
I, I really recommend volunteer work. It's just giving you a little kind of anchor point in your week. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what a great example one. of using your skills and your abilities and resources to do something. Um, Absolutely. That's yeah. very and enjoyable. Like, I think that's one of the and great... You know, in terms of the, like, reinventing leftovers, like, we're always having to use up something that, you know, mm-hmm. someone donated or, you know, we got at a discount or something. So it's, there's always, like, a fun challenge of coming up with you know, a good recipe. <laughs> um, fantastic. Um, and then I want to quickly mention equity at the table, although we are nearly out of time. Yeah, so that was going to be the second thing I mentioned. So, the, um, yeah, that's sort of a broader thing. And equity at the table is a site that I um, launched uh, in April. And it's a digital directory for women and non-binary individuals in food. So we have everything from, um, you know, cooks to farmers to writers and photographers and it's just a really really helpful resource and we primarily feature uh people of color and people from the queer community and it's just a great way for you know if you're looking to hire someone or feature someone or interview someone you know we're all there and it's also been a great way for all of us to kind of connect with each other and build community so yeah equity at the table is I think what I've been spending most of my time on lately, and I, I'm just I'm so glad it exists. Julia Tertian, thank you for your good work and your good books. Feed the Resistance, Recipes for Getting Involved is the book we talked about today on Living Writers. And um, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. But I see your truth